Hi, friend. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. And it is my sincere hope you'll hear something that will encourage, edify, equip, and then get you out into the marketplace of ideas. But before you listen, I'm going to tell you about this month's Truth Tool. My Truth Tool is offered to anyone who gives a financial gift to In the Market with Janet Parshall. And this month, I've chosen the book, Connecting the Dots, What God is Doing When Life Doesn't Make Sense. Ever been there? Of course you have. We all have been. Sometimes we think we're walking in circles, and we're wondering whether or not God has left us, we've walked away from Him, what in the world we're doing if we're even in the center of His will. So this book is designed to help you find peace and confidence in your current challenge. And all of us have challenges. It also will make sense of most of the lessons you're learning right now. And the most important part of this and why I felt this would be appropriate is because it will help clarify in your mind the unique mission and message that God has given to you. So the book is called Connecting the Dots. It's yours for a gift of any amount. And all you have to do is call 877-JANET-58. That's 877-JANET-58. And give a gift of any amount, and we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. If you prefer to do it online, that's easy as well. In the market with JanetParshall.org. Scroll to the bottom of the page. There's the cover of the book. Click on through, make your gift, and again, we'll send you a copy of Connecting the Dots. Just below the picture of the book is a description of what it means to be a partial partner. Those are people who give every month a gift of their own choosing. They set the level of giving. I don't. But they'll always get the truth tool. And in addition to that, a weekly newsletter that goes out as well. So consider being a partial partner or getting a copy of Connecting the Dots by calling 877-JANET-58 or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Now, please enjoy the program. Hi, friends. Welcome to In the Market with Janet Parshall. It's Heart to Heart Friday, where Craig and I share some of the stories making headlines this week, and then we'll offer our insight and analysis. If you'd like to join in the conversation on what we're talking about, please call 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. Now let's take a quick look back at some of the other topics we discussed this week. One of the reasons why God tells us to daily, Jesus says, daily renew your minds, renew mm. your minds with the words mm-hmm. of the Lord. And yeah. and then he tells us what to think on. And it's not negative things, it's positive things. Because the way that we are created, we are created for God. And our dependency on God needs to be a daily, almost a moment by moment, breathing, living thing. And so this is not something I can easily do in my own power. Because if I know that my brain goes negative, then I have to start thinking, okay, God, then I have to be so intentional Mm. with creating the positive because positive words can have wonderful effects on the brain and the body and the person as well. When that relationship is broken, it makes it hard and sometimes difficult and almost seemingly impossible to understand a heavenly father that loves us unconditionally. This is what some people miss when they're doing theology, is they don't realize how deeply our relationships and our experiences shape how we process truth. But when we have healthy relationships and we express forgiveness, we express unconditional love, we express other biblical truths, then it helps us translate that, so to speak, to God himself and how we relate to God. 
Alan Richson is an amazing actor who, as a Christian, chose to do this part for the exact reasons you just said. He wants to show good and evil and the choices that we make. And our choices all have consequences. Mm. And I'm telling you, he has gotten nailed by Christians for this. And yet we are celebrating him because we believe Christians can't be afraid of culture. We can't be afraid of evil. We have to show that it takes a personal choice to know what to do right. And how better to do it than on a television show? I thought, what happened to my culture and where was I when it happened, which is why I moved my trajectory to these issues. But even the people who said, you're right, told me, don't worry, they'll never be organ harvesting. Mm. It happened, as we've talked, it's happening in Canada. It's happening in the Netherlands. It's happening in Belgium. In Canada, if you qualify for euthanasia, if you're in Ontario or Quebec, the doctor will contact the organ uh, donation organization, and they will in turn contact the patient who's about to be killed, asking for their livers. And guess what? These patients do not get referred to suicide prevention, but they do get referred to organ donation. An offense against an eternally holy and righteous God is deserving of an infinite and eternal punishment. I think why people hesitate with this is they really have a rather low view of God. They don't see him as being uh, the infinitely glorious, holy, just, righteous, perfect being who is deserving of all honor, trust, and worship. Uh, The gravity of our punishment is in direct proportion to the greatness of the one against whom we have sinned. And I think if we'll look at it in that light and read these texts in that light, we can see that that is in fact the case. It's Heart to Heart Friday. Here are some of the other stories making headlines this week. A $118 billion bipartisan package to bolster border security was officially blocked by Senate Republicans on Wednesday. Maersk shares fell sharply on Thursday. The Danish shipping giant stock was down 13% in early trades after a new update spooked investors. Revenue at OpenAI has passed the $2 billion mark. It's Heart to Heart Friday on In the Market with Janet Parshall. Craig and I have lots to share, and we'll put the first story on the table when we return. To join the conversation on the topics we're discussing, call 877-548-3675. That's 877-548-3675. God's work in your life has prepared you with a unique message to share and a problem to solve. That truth is why I've chosen Connecting the Dots as this month's truth tool. God uses you to point to His goodness and to give you meaning and purpose. Ask for your copy of Connecting the Dots when you give a gift of any amount to In the Market. Call 877-JANET-58, that's 877-JANET-58, or go to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. Thank you so much for your financial support of this program. It does keep us on the air. And my truth tools are a way of saying thank you when you give a gift of any amount. So call 877-JANET-58 to make your gift to keep in the market with Janet Partial going this month. My way of saying thank you for that gift is giving you the book Connecting the Dots. So again, 877-JANET-58, 877-JANET-58, or online at inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. All right, 
Um, New York. New York has decided that they're going to consider making new laws, making new laws that, uh, well, Chick-fil-A has to stay open seven days a week. You heard me right, seven days a week. The law directly challenges the company's personal attendance and operation standards. As you all know, Chick-fil-A nationwide is closed on Sundays, and uh, that's because there are so many obviously faith-based people who own the franchises and they are very much uh, in accordance with that particular worldview. So why is New York deciding to pick on Chick-fil-A? Well, the current proposition would require food service businesses that are located in transport areas and facilities in the New York State Thruway to remain open seven days a week, right? So it's a move that would greatly benefit Chick-fil-A But, you know, you don't need New York. I bet you they've crunched the numbers and Chick-fil-A has figured that if they open nationwide on Sundays, they'd have a whole lot more money in their bucket. But this is a principal decision made by a corporation. Well, the the throughway that they're talking about in New York spans about 500 miles and it goes all the way from New York to Buffalo. So it was introduced by a Democratic assemblyman and his jurisdiction cuts across some of that path. And uh, it's going to go under review before it becomes law. So Chick-fil-A will feel the effects of the law, especially due to its unique operation standards. However, this law is not just specific to Chick-fil-A. It is a law that applies to all food concession services along the thruway, regardless of their nationwide standards. So are there ex- uh, exceptions to the rule? Well, there's no doubt that all food service businesses will have to take part. There are some exceptions to the rule temporary concession or event-based food spots. So these are transient spots that don't have a permanent storefront, local vendors, flea markets, farmer's market, etc. So why would you create a law? Well, this law was called because it really and truly wants to make sure that there are food services that are available and that people traveling through this throughway have reliable food sources. Now, of course, Craig, that's, again, this either-or single-line stupid thinking that says, you can't pull off the throughway and pull into another hamburger fast food place somewhere along the line. So this is going to be interesting because for the longest period of time we had in this country blue laws where once upon a time in a land far, far away, you couldn't buy anything on a Sunday because it was the Lord's Day and stores were closed. There are still Hobby Lobby, as an example, is not open on Sundays as well. Mm-hmm. Chick-fil-A is not. That is an operating standard of that particular corporation. I'm watching this one very carefully because there is no such thing as corporate standards if New York can say, Abracadabra, we're going to wave our assemblyman's wand, and anybody who is going through that throughway, the 500 miles between New York and Buffalo, you're going to have to be able to get access to a chicken sandwich. Your thoughts? Okay, you go to the question that I think we're all asking. Wait a minute. What's behind this? What's the reason? Well, I'll tell you what. The sponsor of the law uh, in the state assembly, what, what his explanation was, he said, it doesn't make any sense. For them to be closed. Okay. That's a fine legislative reasoning. This does not make any sense. Why a food shop should be closed at a rest stop where there's lots of people traveling on weekends. This just doesn't make any sense. They're going to have to open. Well, I have to tell you, just as it was a constitutional issue about forcing restaurants to close on Sunday... This is going to be an, a constitutional issue oh, yes. about forcing them to stay open. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you that knowing the background mm-hmm. of Chick-fil-A and the reason for it, 
I don't think a federal court should have much problem strike at least forcing an accommodation for companies. That's the operative word, isn't it? It's an accommodation. It's exactly what it is, but there's no accommodation really for the religious or moral convictions of the the shop owners or of the chain uh, owners that own these closely held corporations. And Hobby Live is the same thing. It was a family-owned, closely held corporation uh, from a legal standpoint, although they have, you know, it's a massive chain and they have great influence and they've been very successful across the nation. Still, it's run pretty much by a family with certain biblical values. And the Supreme Court, in the Hobby Lobby case, I had the privilege of uh, filing a brief at that case on behalf of an organization that supported uh, Hobby Lobby's position, and the Supreme Court got it right without too much effort, by the way, um, in that case. And I don't think if it goes to federal court, a federal court should have too much trouble saying this. No, no, it isn't Chick-fil-A that doesn't make any sense. Mr. Assemblyman and legislative people, this bill doesn't make any sense. Well, again, the idea of accommodation, because you have to have a... Well, hungry travelers need food. (laughs) Okay, but there are dozens, hundreds of other options. You can pull off the freeway and go to a a restaurant that's open. And, you know, tons of restaurants are open now uh, on Saturdays and Sundays because of that very fact of of America's uh, traveling patterns on the weekend. So that's that dog ain't gonna hunt, as far as I can see. Well, and, well, and how about hostility? I mean, we were talking earlier this week well, about that's the story behind the story. Isn't, isn't that it? the truth? And we were talking with, by the way, um, an attorney, David Hacker from First Liberty, because there were oral arguments heard just last week. For ten years, the case has been going on since 2014 on sweet cakes by Melissa, and it's gone. Uh, through the courts, through Oregon, up to the Supreme Court, back kicked back down to the Court of Appeals, up to the Supreme Court, back down to the Court of Appeals again. And basically, at some point, you want to say, listen, with the decision in Masterpiece and the decision in 303, you, you got up. Yeah, okay. exactly. You got some How precedent can you be, here. But, but anyone, any lawyer, any organization, any plaintiff who, despite numerous rulings by the Supreme Court, that all have a similar theme to their conclusion in terms of how they treat freedom of religion, freedom of speech, then you'd have to say, is this intellectually honest, your complaint about this, or are you simply going to do what the ACLU has done for years? And that is they dig their heels in and continue to file suits. In fact, they aren't the worst in it. They aren't the worst example of this. Um, there are other ones, uh, you know, separation of church and state type groups. You and I know them. Uh, they will file lawsuit after lawsuit that have n- literally no chance of success. And yet their attitude is we'll keep pressing until we get a justice who dies and maybe another liberal in the court. Okay, your excellent observation. So the people who suffer from separation from church from everything under the sun. So here's an interesting reversal. So you have government intruding into the practices of a corporation. Where's your separation now, Moses? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Except they ain't Moses. <laughs> you better point that out. That's a line yeah, out of the Ten Commandments in case people don't get it. They're the Edward G. Robinson right. character against <laughs> opposing Moses in that movie. But anyway, uh, yeah, this is, well, it's it's not just a reversal. What it is, is it's saying government is God 
and you ought to be you ought to be glad we're not telling you more things you can't do in the name of Christ. Okay, right, right. exactly <laughs> so, right. So there is a um, a burger place that you and I frequent often, and they're closed Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. Probably yeah. an economic issue, yeah. but should the government force them to have to stay open seven days a week because there are people traveling on Monday, Tuesday, and right. Wednesday as well? Yeah, and that particular restaurant, I have to tell you, is about the is the best restaurant in that little town. Okay, <laughs> so you talk about a monopoly, but when they close, you got to go to a different town to get your burger. That's right. Okay, right. but you know what? I feel sorry for them because I know they want to expand. They just haven't had the uh, revenue to be able to do it. Now, what's going to be interesting is again, it costs money to lawyer up. And I'm wondering if Chick-fil-A is going to, um, and there are other companies, by the way, it's whatever's going to be in this throughway, wherever right. these permanent Everyone concessions has to stay are. Everyone but everybody. Janet, you and I have traveled enough to know they're all open. Well, well let me all just right? go to that. You and I have done is, this. A, is rare, is a rare commodity We've here. been on this throughway, okay? Yeah. And, and one's very much like it going from D.C. to New York. So when you go to those places and you pull over on the freeway or the throughway, whatever word you want to call it, you walk in and some are closed. The Auntie Annie's pretzel's not open. Right. Oh, but the Burger King is. Yeah. So it isn't like you're going to starve. Well, here's an option. But you want your choice. I want their <laughs> chicken because it's great. I just don't like their biblical worldview, okay? <laughs> so, so let's the, separate the good chicken from the worldview. So, right? That's it, what the, it, so the question du jour is going to be whether or not Chick-fil-A lawyers up and whether or not they file. I hope they fight this because I, hope they do I, too. I tell you, it, it, I mean, there is no such thing as a no-brainer in the law. Because I've seen strange things happen in in a couple of decades of being in court. But I have to tell you that this is close. This is is close to a no-brainer. Well, and and I think what bothers me more than anything is you're seeing the mounting hubris against Christians. And people might say, Janet, oh, you're you're picking on the, you know, it's all the concessions that would be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's only one that we know of that is a corporate standard that says we're closed on Sundays. Out of all of those other ones. Exactly. Those other burgers and chicken and pizza and everything else. They're not closed on Sunday. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that'll be interesting. By the way, when we come back, as long as we're talking about constitutional no-brainers, we're going to take you to the mid-Pacific and we're going to talk about Aloha. 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 The spirit of Aloha. So speaking of the Constitution, we're going to take you to Hawaii. Hawaii's Supreme Court has basically thumbed its nose at the U.S. Supreme Court when it comes to the Second Amendment of these United States. They handed down an opinion on Wednesday declaring that the, quote, spirit of aloha clashes with the Second Amendment, which guarantees Americans an individual rights to bear arms. So the declaration was made in a decision ruling that a man charged with carrying a firearm without a permit in the state back in 2017 could still be held criminally for that infraction, despite a recent Supreme Court decision, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin, that ruled that New York's concealed carry application system was unconstitutional. So precedent, precedent, precedent. Here we use the word before. And with all due respect, you can cite the spirit of aloha, or you can uh, say roll tide from one state, and you can say whatever you want, but that's not the United States Constitution. So I realize they're out there, and we've got listeners in Hawaii, and blessings to your friends, but the spirit of aloha, don't cut it. All right, now let me... I hate to use the phrase devil's advocate, because that's one client I told you I'd never represent. (laughs) But, um, But let me take the other side. You know, that the old Abraham Lincoln thing, 20% of your case and 80% of your opponent's case. So let me let me put myself in the shoes of the opponent here and the state of 
the great state of Hawaii, through their attorney general, will defend this if if there's a lawsuit. And there will be. And there, oh, there, there has to be. Um, and their argument's going to be, Hawaii's argument's going to be, no, well, okay, the spirit of Hawaii, uh, uh, aloha, in this decision, because I read the parts of the decision, and what they were saying is that the spirit of, of aloha means protect the people, basically. Protect the people from harm. And allowing people to have uh, carry permits for guns or the right to carry at all poses an inherent danger to the aloha of these people, to the to the welfare and safety of these people. Well, that's I understand that, and sure. it's nice, and, but and, I will go to the devil here and say, mm-hmm. that's nice. I'm glad that you have that. But I, the Supreme... Why are you looking at me when you say going to the <laughs> devil? You, said, you need me... to look askance. You need to look at the other side. <laughs> Of the studio here. <laughs> you said, you let that. me play. You did actually play the devil in a play, but that's a conversation for a whole other yeah, day. Yeah. And by the way, I want to... Don't get I, into I, it. I, no, no, I, no. I was just thinking of Martin Luther's, you know, throwing his uh, uh, ink well at, the, at Satan. But anyway. Um, wow. That's spider thinking <laughs> yes. if I've ever heard of it before. But anyway, going back to that, I understand yeah. that. I, that's nice. I'm glad they have a compassionate right. position on that, as they would argue. But the United States Supreme Court, again, just affirmed the right. Okay. So I don't know why Hawaii well, thinks that they're in a different planet. They're one of the 50 states. They adhere to the U.S. Constitution. Right. No, no. Well, again, I'll put myself in the position of the uh, attorney general for the great Hawaii. state of Hawaii, right. who would be arguing this case in front of the Supreme Court. And he would probably say the, there's a difference substantially in the law that the Supreme Court has looked at in various cases, starting with the Chicago law and, and a number of in uh, the New York law. It's different in substantial um, f- facts. And I'd say, no, in substantial ways, the laws aren't different enough to, to make a distinction. It's a distinction w- without a difference, as we say in the law. And their argument about our Constitution requires that we protect the people. That's the uh, uh, spirit of Aloha uh, approach. Yes, you do have a duty to protect the people, uh, but you don't have a right to deny a federal constitutional right for those who want to carry a weapon uh, legally. And that's because the U.S. Constitution has a supremacy clause. And the supremacy clause says that if there's a conflict between a state law or a state constitution and the federal constitution, the federal constitution prevails in in a conflict. I think this is a conflict. I think it, uh, the supremacy clause will uh, prevail. I think the Supreme Court, it's not a no-brainer, but maybe it's another second close to. Well, uh, how about a states' rights of, issue? Because they're arguing that the Hawaiian Constitution doesn't have a right to carry well, a here's, firearm. Here's, here's the deal. There's also a principle in the law in numerous U.S. Supreme Court cases that says that a state has the ability and the power, the authority to increase liberties for the people, greater than the liberties uh, given by the U.S. Constitution. But the converse is not true. It may not create a, mm-hmm. a restriction that's greater than the U.S. Constitution. So in other words, what they did is they uh, infringed on, they restricted the rights of people under the Second Amendment more than the U.S. Constitution provides. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You can only enlarge those rights. So if Hawaii said, not only are we going to allow a right to carry, but we're going to allow a number of other Second Amendment rights to our people that the federal constitution does not protect. You have a right to carry a bazooka. okay? but uh, it doesn't work that way. Hawaii has actually restrained 
a right to carry law that the U.S. Supreme Court has said is part and parcel of the Second Amendment. So I don't know how how, how I, in the end, in a lawsuit, is going to prevail. I agree. By the way, even some media outlets are pointing at this idea of the spirit of Aloha and scratching their head. In fact, one said... It's unclear to what legal principle the court's reference to the spirit of aloha appeals to. So you well, you added some meat to it. Well, um, now, and let me tell you that if they file in the Hawaii federal court, which Hawaii as a state has a federal district, um, I was involved a number of years ago with ACLJ, the organization I work with, um, when they said the president of the United States was violating establishment of religion because of saying certain countries with terrorist ties couldn't immigrate to the United States. And Hawaii ruled on the wrong way. They said, yes, the you know president has violated, you know, he, there's been religious discrimination because these countries are populated by Muslims. Well, it went up to the U.S. Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court agreed with our argument and everybody else's argument. Now Hawaii was wrong. So they lost on that one. They've lost... I think on this one too. We're if it take, goes to court. All right. We're going to take a break and come back. We're going to take a look at some more topics. This is In the Market with Jana Partial. That's Craig Partial. Back after this. In this important election cycle, you deserve to have a reliable place where you can turn for a Christian perspective on current events. In the Market is your home for dependable, up-to-date commentary. When you become a partial partner, your monthly gifts help In the Market stay on the air so we can continue to provide clarity of thought and biblical application. Become a partial partner today. Call 877-JANET-58 or go online to inthemarketwithjanetpartial.org. So this is an interesting case. When the government forces you to lie, what would you do? And, you know, it's not like this hasn't been... Uh, conversation among Christians for quite some time. But in these latter days, um, this is becoming a much more pressing issue, I think, for an awful lot of believers. So two Christian teachers have added Governor Newsom of California and the state attorney general there to a lawsuit that claims that these two teachers were forced to lie to parents about students' confusion about their gender. So there's a lawsuit that was amended on January 29th by the attorneys, excuse me, for two middle school teachers in California that alleged that the educators had their First Amendment rights violated by policies related to the treatment of transgender and gender diverse K through eight students. So here's what the lawsuit says. It claims that the Escondido Union School District policies forced teachers to aid (coughs) excuse me, to aid in students' social transition by using pronouns and gender-specific names requested by the students during school hours. The teachers were allegedly told to revert to the students' biological pronouns and legal names when speaking with the parents in order to actively hide information about their child's gender identity. Ooh, ooh, how unconscionable. So the school is specifically telling its employees to lie to parents about the parents' children. The children don't belong to the school or the state. The parents' children are being lied to by the government. And then they're telling the teachers to continue the lie as well. So according to the school district's policies, all elementary and middle school teachers must unhesitatingly accept a child's assertion of a transgender or gender diverse identity and must begin to treat the student immediately according to their asserted gender identity. 
There's no requirement for parent or caretaker agreement or even of knowledge. By the way, God bless Thomas Moore for being involved in this one because they're the attorneys that are going to represent these Christian students here. And for that, I am very, very grateful. They do stellar work. So, again, according to the policy, this is chilling, by the way. If it happens in California, can it happen anywhere? You betcha. If a parent discovers that their child has socially transitioned, according to the school district, the policy, quote, flatly prohibits teachers from respecting parents' wishes. How's that? In writing, black ink, white paper, we flatly prohibit teachers from respecting parents' wishes, and parents are not allowed to override a student's request. Now, this is according to the lawsuit. The lawsuit further notes that the policies are based on a model and guidance that was promoted by the California Department of Education. So one more thing, and then I'm going to have you weigh in, Craig. According to the California Department of Education, these policies are required by state and federal anti-discrimination laws. There's a quantum leap through fields of law and compliance with the CDE's interpretation, California Department of Education's interpretation of anti-discrimination law is a condition for receiving, wait for it, state education funds. Money doesn't talk, it screams. Further, according to the Attorney General, the state of California will sue any school district who fails to adopt these policies. So the, this is the snake eating its own tail. So the, the Department of Ed is going to sue a school if the teachers don't lie. What rabbit hole did we fall down, Craig? Oh, my goodness. Now, first of all, God bless these Christian parents, because I don't know, or teachers, rather, I don't know how this bodes for their employment future. Uh, I don't know what it means about their relationship with their peers. But basically, these Christian parents or students, teachers, Christian teachers just said, enough, this far and no farther. I am not going to be complicit in lying to a parent. And the and I know, Thomas, more so do you. They're stellar. They're yes. full of integrity. I've worked with their uh, attorneys on, on mutual uh, cases. They do great work. Right. And, and they uh, wouldn't be filing false statements in a lawsuit. No, so when they no. say that the district patently tells the right. teachers to then lie, you can take, that you can take it to the bank. Fact, yeah. So your thoughts on this? Well, uh, these are outrageous uh, restrictions. And they're imposed on school districts. You know, uh, most states respect the autonomy of school districts subject to state mandates. And the state mandates usually pertain to matters of curricula and hiring and firing policies, non-discrimination and so forth. Um, But this is a way step too far to tell school districts that they must, in other words, they don't even have the option or the authority to, they must obey the mandate from the state to hide information that's integral to the emotional, psychological, and spiritual, frankly, development of a child in terms of their so-called sexual identity, hide that from the parent. Uh, This is outrageous. You know, unfortunately, it's been a long time since the U.S. Supreme Court has taken up a case dealing with the fundamental right of parents Uh, And as a result of that, again, as I've said, in fact, I just said it last hour, nature abhors a vacuum Mm -hmm. in the law. And so when there hasn't been a resubstantiation of what the Supreme Court said in 1972 um, about the fundamental right of parents, not just to educate, but also to um, uh, inculcate moral and spiritual and religious values in their child, that's a fundamental right of parents. And so as a result, it's been, uh, you know, a decade or two since Supreme Court's weighed in on this. So as a result, I, but even if they had, 
California's trajectory recently has been, we don't care. Yeah, we don't care exactly. what the Supreme Court well, says. Can I ask you, because obviously what they're basing, the, the reason they think they have the spinal column to do this, this is the Department of Education in California, is allegedly they think they find their springboard in anti-discrimination policies. Well, that's from the federal government, from the right. Federal, right. But, but not they, from Congress, right. but from an, a federal agency that's part of the executive branch. And those non-discrimination uh, laws are, are yet to be determined. You know, there's one opinion about whether they really require this. There's another legal opinion on the other side. And there are cases that are going to wind their way up to the Supreme Court on that. So it's not a settled issue. I happen to believe that, I that those regulations uh, don't hold water in, uh, in the Department of Education. And right so what now. California is doing is they're saying, if we don't have the law, we're going to make the law up as we go along. So right. we're going to categorize this as a protected class yep. category. Therefore, it is an anti-discrimination issue. Well, OK, here you go again. What about the penumbral, a word the Supreme Court has used, rights of parents? And what in what universe is it all right? And this is a character issue yeah. above everything else. You've got the Department of Education in California instructing your employees to lie, comma, to the parents. Just put the period after the word lie. Right. And what I'll, kind of a government teaches its employees to lie? Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, the, the parents' rights uh, of what Justice Scalia called a unitary family. If you have a father and a mother and a child or children, you have a unitary family and those rights prevail. Uh, and that's been around uh, for, you know, more than two centuries. However, uh, this really is not so much of a parent's rights issue, although it's violative of the rights of parents. It's a free speech issue. It's forced government speech of a, of a teacher in violation of their First Amendment religious liberties. That is, you must lie about what you believe is the gender of this child because we've told you that if you don't, you'll be fired. So it's really a free speech, uh, forced speech issue. And they've won so far in front of the first judge that they have been in front of. And so she issued that judge issued an injunction against the state of California. It's going to wind its way up to the courts of appeal and who knows where it's going to be and how, whether it's going to reach the U S Supreme court, but on the forced speech issue, 303 creative, the Mm -hmm. Supreme court just addressed that issue. So if they read the law and care about it, the highest court in the land under the federal constitution, which trumps this California state constitution and certainly trumps the mandates of the Department of Education, uh, the state educational department in California. Uh, how can you, as a matter of intellectual honesty, say if you're a lawyer advising the state of California, how can you not say this issue has already been decided by the U.S. Supreme Court? You cannot force against the religious rights of another person forced speech because of your California agenda uh, in terms of uh, transgender rights. So uh, and it, it's just amazing. I'm going to stay in California because yeah. I want to talk about a San Francisco elementary school that was trained by an organizer organization called Woke Kindergarten, whose leader wants to see America and Israel destroyed as countries. And this is all on social media. According to the website, the head of the organization is Ikea Gross, who uses the pronouns they, them, who is, quote, 
an abolitionist, early educator, cultural organizer, and creator currently innovating ways to resist, heal, liberate, and create with their pedagogy, woke kindergarten. I believe the United States has no right to exist. I believe every settler colony who has committed genocide against Native people, against Indigenous people, has no right to exist. This is gross putting it up on Instagram. Y'all are demons. Y'all are villains. We've been trying to end y'all, get free of y'all. I believe in a free Palestine from the river to the sea. And apparently her curriculum materials have been used in a whole bunch of schools. This is all. Thank you, Department of Education, California. Uh, This woke kindergarten is described on its website as, quote, supporting children, families, educators, and organizations in their commitment to abolitionist early education and our pro-black and queer and trans liberation. And then in another post uh, that she put up in January, when I think about a world free of state balance, I think about a world free of the U.S. empire. I think about a world free of Israel. Uh, And by the way, (laughs) the paradox is this woke kindergarten leader has also called for schools to (laughs) be abolished. Um, (laughs) I'll pick it up from that point. So, wow. Bizarre. Uh, It's like worthy of discussion for another reason. Oh, extremely. But this is all the great state of California. We're praying for you, friends out there in California listening. So, but this is all under the canopy of California and their Department of Education. So on the one hand, you're teaching teachers to lie and he gets sued because of it. And then you have a Marxist who thinks that America and Israel should be destroyed. And we're calling it woke kindergarten. Yikes. Back after this. Well, you know, you just got to talk about these things because exposing the evil deeds to the disinfectant of sunlight, I think, is important. So obviously this poor woman is a Marxist, and so she's got this material that she's using. But unfortunately, it's being spread around now in some schools, numerous schools in California, and it's called Woke Kindergarten. She thinks the United States should be abolished. She thinks that Israel should be abolished. And for that record, even though she's creating materials for schools, she thinks schools should be abolished. I think about land back to indigenous people globally. I think about the fact that we would not have to participate in these systems because none of these systems would exist. That means kids wouldn't have to go to school because the world would ultimately be their classroom. Oh, wouldn't they all be the better for that? Does the world teach you how to do math? I don't know. I just wondered. The kids will learn from us. She goes on. They will learn from us. We would learn from them. We would create these ecosystems. If this isn't the Marxist utopian ideology, I don't know what is. We would create these ecosystems of community care that would make sure that everyone had what they needed so nobody would want for everything quintessential Marxism. We would hear music everywhere. (laughs) Then there would be an argument in the community, by the way, as to what kind of music. But I digress. Utopias don't work. We will make art out of everything. We will be able to write so much more poetry because we would have so much more joy in ourselves that we would need some place to move it, some place for it to land. The people would have the power and the kids would have more too. And by the way, she also believes, and I'm not making this up, she also believes that there are extraterrestrial beings that are oppressed. Craig, your thoughts. Um, okay, so then you wonder, does the school know about this? Yeah, because well, the your materials an- are being used. The, ans- the answer is that this unified school district superintendent told reporters that hiring woke kindergarten had board approval 
And apparently oh it was more about boosting attendance than test scores. He said attendance has gone up a whole 20%. I'll bet, because they don't have to do any homework. <laughs> exactly. Quote, helping students feel safe and whole is part and parcel of academic achievement. I get that it's more money than we would have liked to have spent, he said, we're in favor of 100% of abolishing systems of oppression, where they hold our students back. Wait, wait, what wait. I do believe is we should pick providers based on their work and how effective they are. Wait, burn down the wall, okay? Burn down the house. You are in the house, okay? So this is a person speaking. I've seen the enemy and he is us. Well, <laughs> he's in the school system saying this is a system of oppression. He should get another job if you're so oppressed. I don't understand that, but... Yep. Uh, Kind of self-defeating logic. Wow. Wow. Um, She said, solidarity with all oppressed beings. That's what I meant. How I feel and what I should have said. Humans, non-human, animal, extraterrestrial alike, universally, infinitely, always. E.T. writes. Wow. Wow. So she wants to burn, burn down the house. Okay. I got it. And the fact that somebody, and there's an elementary school Glassbrook Elementary School in Hayward, California, spent a quarter of a million dollars in federal, your tax dollars at work, friends, federal funds provided by a program meant to help boost test scores for some of the country's lowest performing schools. Instead, the money went to woke kindergarten. Are the trees going to teach you to read? Just asking for a friend. All right. So you're I'm a listener out there and I'm driving along. I'm coming home from work or um, I'm already home and uh, I've cllicked on my favorite show in the market with Janet Parshall uh Friday Parshall, and I'm Mr. listening Parshall, to this Mr. and I'm going all right so what do I do with this well first of all the school embraces this okay they've come right out and said yeah yeah they're cheerleaders for this so what do we do as followers of Christ with this I mean is the number one counselor. one idea is well it's a sign of the times Jesus looked into the eyes of the Pharisees and said, you don't get the signs of the time. Basically, I'm standing, the signs of the times are standing right in front of you, okay, from a messianic standpoint. But also, I think that we're to be good observers of the times and what it means. And so I think, number one, uh, it's telling us where the pendulum is uh, heading in terms of the future of our educational systems and Governance, because these are people who in 10, 20 years are going to be voting for the future of this nation. And then number if, two, if they know how to vote because it, well, they have to read the no, ballot. They'll make it easier for them. Basically, they'll say, can we vote for you? Ah, yeah, uh-huh. go ahead. So, you know, a couple of people will vote for millions of people, Got perhaps. Mm-hmm. But number two, something else we can consider. And that is alternatives to this craziness. And that is schools that will teach, number one, things that are beneficial to the community. Number two, Christian schools. Number three, uh, homeschooling, uh, charter schools, uh, the right to be able to have uh, your choice in how your tax dollars go for uh, school choice, as an example, and be praying about where you place your children and how they get educated. Because in order to counter a bad idea, and believe me, these are that's about as bad as they get educationally that we've talked about in probably years. Uh, you have to better it with a better idea. Mm-hmm. And I've ticked off a couple, I humbly think, are better ideas. So let's move in the direction of helping our communities. You know, last hour, you and I talked about 
the, the biblical response to bad ideas that are out there, defamatory ideas about what followers of Jesus really believe in this election cycle. Uh, and the way to do it is to seek the welfare of the city. That is to say, what's, what's a, what are good works that I can perform that better my community, my school district, my country, my state, my nation? And then look for your sphere of influence and then do your homework, be smart, be on your knees to pray about how you want to approach it, and then do it diplomatically and winsomely as an ambassador of Christ. And I'm thinking it from the family angle, that if this comes home and around dinner, if you're not asking your child, what's the best thing that happened in your day today? What's the worst thing that happened? What did you learn? You keep those dialogues open. You have that warm, communicative relationship where you learn, you let them tell you what they learned in the classroom. And then if you have to, turn off the TV, turn off all distractions, and then sit down, open the Bible, open a good history book, just to exactly what you said before. It's been a principle you and I have tried to live by all of our lives, which is how do you defeat a bad idea? By presenting a better one. And so as as you're around the kitchen table and you hear somebody talking about burning down Israel and burning down the United States and get rid of all institutions and let nature teach you or whatever, um, there's, that's just so fertile with things that you can teach your child. And so it means you have to be present, though, Mom and Dad. It means that you can't turn on the TV. You can't get distracted. You're going to have to look well to the ways of your household. That admonition was given to us in Scripture, and it means as much now as the day that it was put in the Word of God. So, Mom and Dad, we got our jobs to do. Hey, I hear there's a little game on Sunday. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll see you next time.